You're listening to the Rural Advancement Podcast. Rural Advancement provides resources to empower, equip, and encourage rural pastors and churches. Join our community by visiting us at ruraladvancement.com. All right, everybody, welcome back to Rural Advancement. Um, This podcast is designed for rural leaders, and it's in fact by rural leaders. I'm your host, Joe Epley, and uh, we just want to take a second today to talk about discipleship, Um, especially in the rural church. Discipleship is a hard topic. I mean, it's a hard topic anywhere and probably has been for a couple thousand years. But the question remains, how do you get from point A to point B? How do you help outsiders become insiders? And so over the next four podcasts here, so we're going to be talking about discipleship and interviewing um, different leaders, different rural influences and rural voices. And uh, we're excited to dive right in. And so today we want to talk to Dwight Dozier. He's been a pastor for the last two decades in a rural church in Great Bend, Kansas. So without further ado, I'm going to turn it over to him. Hi, Dwight. How are you? Hey, good morning, Joe. Good to see you. Yeah. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Good. I'm excited to dive into this topic today. Uh, We prepared a set of questions, and we're just going to be interviewing Pastor Mm -hmm. Dwight here, and we're hoping that uh, his insights can give a lot of insight to just uh, the rural church. So if you're working anywhere in rural, if you're a minister, a lay leader, uh, anybody who's interested, we're just excited to dive into this topic about discipleship. So uh, first, I want to start out by maybe giving a little background, right? We say that we have rural voices on this podcast, and Dwight Dozier, Pastor Dwight, is no exception. And so Dwight, I want to start out. Can you give us maybe a, a brief background of your, you know, connection to the rural church? Sure. Maybe some of your past experiences, current experience, and then why you value the rural church so much? Sure. Yeah, you know, we started in full-time ministry, full-time pastoral ministry. I was 20 and my wife was 19 and we uh, uh pastored in a small church in a town of about 500 people and in a uh, old mining community in southeast Kansas. The mines had been depleted years ago and the town was dying. And since then, almost all of our ministry has been in a rural context um, from agricultural to the early days of the mining the mining community. And um, we love rural. I would say that uh, uh, 45 years ago, we didn't talk about rural versus urban. It was just a church that needed a pastor. And uh, I didn't really uh, engage in the, the rural conversation until the last probably 25 years. Oh, wow. That's kind of crazy that, that even the terms that we've used to describe how we're doing church has changed over time. That's so cool. Yeah, I mean, that's quite a track record, man. I mean, you know, uh, some people, uh, you know, barely know small towns exist. And you're like, man, this has been, you know, my faithful field here for for a number of decades. And so that's exciting. So share a little bit like, yeah, why do you think rural churches in particular have so much value? And of course, we're not saying that no other church has value. But for the sake of this podcast, like, what is it about the rural church that stands out to you as having so much to offer the kingdom of God? Yeah, you know, because I do have 45 years of, of, of observation of this, I've seen so many things change, and uh, to the point that we begin to see rural churches decline and then close, and and um, and even where we still have churches in in rural, some of our more remote rural communities, they're they're not healthy churches. Many of them are not. There, thank God, there are some good healthy churches. You know, there's a term that's used a lot in urban context about food deserts where a grocery store closes in a neighborhood and people don't have access to to groceries. 
I believe rural America has become large parts of rural America has become a a spiritual food desert. Oh, really? And so you go into if you if you go into a small community, we just recently assisted in planting a church in a in a uh, rural community of about fifteen hundred people uh, west of us in the farther western Kansas. And um, prior to opening that church. There were some churches in the community, but there were no evangelical churches, no evangelical voices or Pentecostal voices. And so when you think about it, a, a, a kid could be born in a, in a rural community, attend church every Sunday uh, from the time he's christened till the time he graduates from high school and moves away and never receive an adequate witness of the gospel to, wow. to really make a decision to follow Jesus. And the, the difference between rural and urban is most urban centers and suburban centers, there are some options available. And sometimes in a rural community, if that one Pentecostal or evangelical church were to close or become unhealthy, uh, there are just simply no other options. So that's why I value rural so much. I drive through these rural communities in Western Kansas, and I grieve over the fact that in so many of them, there's the gospel message. We used to use a term in world missions called an inadequate witness of, of the gospel. <clears throat> and uh, that's where I see rural America. So the importance of planting and revitalization, I think, is uh, tantamount to, to just really, are we going to reach that harvest or not? Are we going to let those communities perish without even having an opportunity to turn to Christ? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was a great way to put it. I really love the spiritual food desert metaphor because it is true. I mean, you know, we talk about it with everything in a small town, your options for restaurants and recreation and churches are no different where, uh, yeah, that one church goes downhill and suddenly you don't have a gospel witness. Wow, that's a powerful truth. I think that's that's great that you mentioned church planning and revitalization because it really does tie into our topic today. Can't really plant good churches, can't really uh, you know, revitalize churches without good discipleship, right? Without connecting just the average lay person, the average minister to, uh, you know, that journey with Jesus. And so I do want to start by digging back into your history a little bit, mostly because I know your story a little and we have talked, but how has your view on discipleship changed from when you started ministry to now? Because I'm assuming there's going to be some some different pieces there, you know? Sure. Yeah. Good question, Joe. Yeah, I think there's two key areas where my view of discipleship has changed. First of all, my, my concept of discipleship is, is you take a brand new believer and you walk them through, you know, steps of following Christ. And, and uh, I, I tell people I was discipled by osmosis. When I got saved and filled with the Spirit, I just started hanging out with the pastor. You know, I'd show up early on Sunday morning and stand there and shake hands with people as they came in the door with, with the pastor. And and uh, he would pour into me. Uh, so there was no structured discipleship program that I went through. And when we, when we really began to feel a burden to be more intentional about discipleship, um, I, I really had questions because we were going through a drought at that time in our current location as far as new salvations. So I questioned the Lord, who are we supposed to disciple? And, uh, and the Holy Spirit brought me to Colossians 1.28. Uh, where it says that we may present every man fully mature in Christ. And I begin to realize there's a lot of discipleship that needs, needs to happen in the established church. I had men in my church. We started with a focus on men. I had men in my church that had never developed a consistent daily devotional life. They had never read the Bible through. They had never memorized scripture. And these are, to be clear, these are church people. 
Yeah, these are some of them. Some of them served on the board. You know, they they were they were men that had been in the church for many many years and second third generation Pentecostals, but they had never been taught and given the skills on how to have an effective devotional life. The real secret of this and, podcast is how to get board members saved. Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Continue on though. Continue yeah. on though. There's a few jokes that come to my mind right there, but I, I will resist the urge to tell them. But, uh, uh, and we have, and these were great men. I started, sure, yeah. uh, my first class was 10 established men in the church. And we walked them through a, a 11 month discipleship program, which we've now tailored to nine months but saw tremendous growth take place in their lives. And all of a sudden, these men who had been, you know, they loved Jesus, they, they loved the church, they were faithful. Now they became leaders. And, oh, wow. uh, and it was great. Uh, the second big change is the word that I used, intentionality. Mm. I, I think we, we grew up in there. I grew up in an era where a lot of the discipleship took place. You'd be faithful Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, come to revival services, come to prayer meeting. And that's how discipleship took place. We just, yeah. uh, people were in church enough. We assumed that they were getting it. Yeah. And in the changes that have happened in the structure of the local church in the last 20 to 30 years, I think has demanded that the church become more intentional about things that we used to do more organically. Mm. And uh, so we, we set out to put together a very intentional discipleship ministry, starting with men and then following up with, with women. And now we're trying to do uh, similar with teens. And if you don't have that intentionality, there's some things that just won't happen if you don't make a point to do it. Wow. And discipleship is one of those things. Yeah, absolutely. I love that shift, you know, because because it is true. I mean, I, I think of my own struggles, you know, uh, even as a youth pastor, you're talking about with teens. Uh, youth pastor has been my predominant experience for the last eight years. And you still wonder, you know, you still get teens graduating who have been with you for six years. And I, I challenged them one day. I said, how many of you, you know, could really say you're different after six years of, you know, seventh through 12th grade. And I had a couple of kids, well-meaning Christian, love the Lord kids, but they came up to me and said, am I even saved? Like, I don't know that I've actually invested a ton, you know, and they just, they, they really freaked out. And, but it, it just goes to show like, man, we, yeah, we could always use more intentional discipleship, you know, yeah. we've just gotten lucky sometimes. And I think we t call it a program, you know, we're sort of saying, oh yeah, people get disciples. It's like, well, maybe not. Um, man, that's really good insight. Let's talk about, you know, the most effective discipleship strategy or program. Obviously uh, you mentioned a nine month thing, but let's, instead of just, just highlighting that big picture, what, what is it within that that you right. find so effective for discipleship yeah. that maybe other rural leaders, rural pastors could take advantage of. Sure. I, I believe an effective discipleship uh, ministry has to have some key components. Number one, uh, there has to be expectations. I, I remember my first attempt at men's discipleship. It was a, it was a program put out by the AG, good, good, good information, but it was basically guys, basically guys showing up once a week, watching a video and filling in the blank uh, on, a, on a worksheet. And we call that discipleship. So I believe discipleship needs to have daily expectations. So we, we designed our program to where there's daily devotionals expected. They have to actually record those at quiet times or soaps, whatever you want to refer to them. Sure, as. sure. There's journaling that has to be done. There's accountability. Secondly, expectations as far as attendance and participation. This is not just show up when you want to show up. That's why we make it a nine-month commitment. 
And once we get started, you can't join at midstream. You have to start at the beginning. Really? Uh, now, we have some entry-level discipleship things that we're working on more now to fill that gap in people's lives. And then the third thing, there has to be, there has to be accountability. You know, there, uh, there, there are men and women that we don't graduate. You know, it's like, okay, you've not done the work, you know, so you wow. don't graduate. And, uh, and then I'd throw one final thing in there. And I think that cele- celebration is a big, big deal in the church. People like to be celebrated. So when we do our graduation and we do our graduation the first Sunday in June for our men and women together, prior to COVID, we did two separate graduations. The men's was always on Father's Day. The women's was in proximity to that. But um, now we were kind of forced to combine it on one Sunday. But we really make a big to-do of it. We present our guides with guys with an ornamental sword. It's a really a cool-looking sword they love to get. Uh, we have a big ceremony. We take the whole service and focus on discipleship graduation. And we place what's the saying, you, you get what you celebrate. Yeah, and so absolutely. we celebrate uh, their accomplishments and uh, use that as a recruitment tool as well. So I think those are the key, the key components. And I think the church has had low expectations for too yeah. many years and low expectations has, has produced low results. Yeah. And I would, I would agree with you. Cause even, even when you talk about, you know, uh, uh, not for lack of a better term, this might be a little, you know, cruel, but like, yeah, you kick people out of the program who are not meeting those expectations. You say, Hey, you're not, you're not going to graduate this, you know, try again next year type thing. Right. But even that, when you talked like as a pastor, I was like, Ooh, is that too harsh? You know, like in my, in my heart, I was like, Oh man, that feels, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. You know? And I I think we're scared of it. You know, I think we're scared of like, man, we raised the bar and like, I think there's always that fear in the back of our minds. Well, what if, what if people leave? What if they, you know, what if they can't handle that? But I love, and and you're, I mean, you're obviously like you've graduated hundreds of men and women out of this, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're standing right now at about 120 men and about 300 women. The women have, you know, they, they've knocked it out of the park like they always no do. No surprise there at all. Anyone <laughs> who tries to tell me a rural church doesn't run off the backs of good women is, is lying, you know, <laughs> yeah. but uh, that's, that's incredible. I mean, and, and to yeah. raise the bar like that and have it produce the opposite of where our hearts fear, you know, is like, oh man, if we raise the bar too much, people won't engage. It's like, well, actually they're engaging, you know, they are. Yeah. And, and Joe, one of the, one of the, points that I want to make, we don't, we don't cast people aside. Oh, absolutely. we just say, this isn't the time for you, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. And we're sure. ready to make the level of commitment. And we've had several that didn't graduate until their third time through. Oh, wow. You know? And they finally reached a place where they knew the commitment, they understood the commitment. We explained it going in, this is what's expected of you. Right. So in that nine months, not only do they complete a curriculum, um, a good curriculum, but there's a Bible reading plan they have to follow. There's uh, with the men, there's 26 portions of scripture they have to memorize. Oh, wow. They participate in a 21 day Daniel fast. Uh, this, this is not just a show up, fill in the blank, uh, you know, presentation. Yeah. And, um, and so some guys just, even though they know the commitment, they don't understand the commitment until they get into it. Yeah. And I could see that for sure. I mean, yeah. Tell me a fast is easy. And then I get in the middle of it and go, wait a second. You know, what did I sign up for? (laughs) But man, what a, what a refreshing take, because honestly, the spirit of the age, as we know, sometimes is, well, make sure people can belong before they become and do all these things. And obviously those, those elements are present. Like no one's kicking people out of services. Like people are welcome. And, but to say, 
hey, we're going to make discipleship a high bar because it, it is that by nature, it is a high bar. And that's just, that's so encouraging. Well, hey, another question for you, because um, obviously discipleship anywhere, I'm sure any pastor across any century would echo that is a difficult task. But specifically in the rural church, what are some unique challenges that you see there to, you know, effective discipleship? Right. Uh, you know, Joe, you, you're in a rural community yourself. You understand this. Uh, the, the, the men, and, and again, I'm going to focus on men. Sure. Uh, that's my heart. And we have a great women's discipleship ministry, but we have so many of our men that are involved in agriculture. You start getting into the spring months, you even yeah. in the fall season, fall harvest, and there are just certain seasons during the year, even calving season, and some of these guys, it's tough for them to, to shut down on a Wednesday night and get there and, and make the commitment to, to be there. I, I, I think also with men, well-educated men, but what do we guys do? We graduate from high school or college, whatever our highest level of education was, and we don't open another book. You know, it's just like, you know, unless we have to on the job, we, you know, so guys, their reading muscle is usually out of shape when they start this program. And so getting that going again, but I think in the real context, it really is the, the agricultural connection. There's a certain sense of, of self-sufficiency in, in a rural community. Sure. And for some of these guys to admit, to acknowledge, man, I, I remember one of my men came to me and he had He'd been in another church for several years, served on the board, and then they filled with the Holy Spirit and came uh, came to the assembly and been in the church for several years. And Tim came to me one day and he said, Pastor, he said, I didn't think I needed this. I wow. went through it because other guys was doing it. But he said, I have to admit, in my X number of years of being in church and serving God and believing that I was a Christian, I didn't, I did not know how to read the Bible. I did not know how to pray. I did not know how to memorize scripture. And, uh, and he said, this has revolutionized my life. He's one of our leaders now. And he's still to this day, 5.30 a.m. every morning, he sets aside the first hour of his day to just spend with the Lord. Wow. Something he had never done. So getting strong, self-sufficient men, the tough, rugged, rural type that we tend to have, to admit, I really need this is probably a big challenge. Yeah, absolutely. And I love your insight on that because there is so much about the rhythm of life. I mean, even in uh, my context in rural Montana, uh, you know, we've had pastors who, who straight up didn't make it because the cycle of agriculture and calving season. I mean, it was just, you know, it's just hard to run a church like that, you know, sometimes. And so, so to even take it further and say, man, we're going to we're going to demand the same expectations no matter what your context is. And, and that's so refreshing, again, to hear where uh, I think it, I think it speaks a lot to the value we can place on discipleship, even as, as rural leaders. You know, I think uh, I do want to dial in. Um, do you think that uh, you use the word organic versus intentional with discipleship? Mm-hmm. Do you think the rural church uh, struggles with intentionality in any unique way at all? Yeah, I, I I absolutely do. Probably the church in general does. Sure, sure. But in, in a real in a small town, small rural community, everybody knows everybody. You get very comfortable with everybody. Everybody comes to church. You you have a, a routine that worked for thirty years. Now it doesn't work, and it's hard to admit it doesn't work. It's not working. We think the church is declining because people are moving away. And when, in fact, the church is declining, not because of population decline, that contributes, but the church is declining in rural America is because we are no longer being effective at doing what we used to do well. Wow. And 
and we've got to shift gears. We've got to shift directions and stay true to the gospel, but we've got to adapt our methodologies and, and our approach to ministry. And uh, so I think that whole, again, I grew up in a very organic culture and uh, in, in, in a rural church. And I had those elderly men that would pray with me in the altars and pour into me. And yeah, absolutely. And the, the world has changed and the world of the church has changed. And so I think we have to have very intentional steps to be successful. Yeah, yeah. man, that's huge. And, and one of the things we're doing too, because there, I think there's oftentimes a, 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 a scarcity of, of, of leadership, lay leadership in many of our churches and uh, so we are working right now on developing a, a uh, advanced level of discipleship that will focus specifically on leadership development and helping people dis discover their gifts. We do some of that in our first level, but the second level will be the advanced level will be given almost exclusively to helping people to really figure out what God's calling them to do and be and then develop into that. Oh, wow. That's super cool. And I love how it's expanding. You know, it started with the men and the women and the teens and now a leadership track. Man, that's awesome. Well, uh, we've given um, a big challenge. You know, of course, uh, any pastor or leader or lay leader, anybody listening to this is going to walk away and go, oh, man, the task is great, you know, and, and to, to step into a real context. But uh, let's take a second and just talk directly to those leaders who may be listening. What would you say on the topic of discipleship in terms of a nugget of wisdom or maybe even some encouragement to offer you know, these, these individuals, again, whether they're volunteers or, or lay leaders or, or board members or pastors, like, what, what are you saying to them that says, hey, you can, you can do this, you got this, you know? Yeah, yeah, I'd say pastors that are listening, listen, I, I just want you to know, there's not a perfect time. It's, it's kind of like having a baby, you know, it, it's often been said, if a couple waits for a perfect time to have a child, they'll, they'll go childless. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and if we wait for the perfect time to do discipleship, we'll never do it. So uh, find a starting point. You might have one person that you disciple one-on-one, -on -one, that you take through a very structured, intentional accountability program, uh, but do it. Start with one. Uh, start with what you have. I delayed starting discipleship because I had in my mind what it should look like. Mm. And when we decided to start with what we have, start with the men that are already in the church, established yeah. in the church, and dynamic things begin to happen. And so pastors don't be afraid of discipleship. I had a real pastor tell me recently, I was afraid of discipleship. I was afraid of empowering people that somehow or another, I wouldn't be able to handle empowered people. Empowered people are the greatest, the easiest people to pastor there are. And so if you're not threatened by that, just get in and do it and find a starting point. There's a lot of different curriculums out there. I could recommend curriculums, but there's good ones out there. And the curriculum is not quite as important to me as the structure that you use the curriculum within. Awesome. And that structure, including things like accountability, Bible reading times, probably prayer focuses, certain meetings where people get together, those kind of things. Absolutely. Yes, sir. Awesome, man. And that is so encouraging because I'll be honest, even uh, even just listening to this, you know, I feel the challenge personally as uh, I'm not just a, a detached voice here, you know, I'm a rural practitioner as well. And so, so even hearing you say, hey, if you got one person, go for it, because I'm looking around going, well, yeah, if I have 15 who are willing to commit to that journey, great. But what if it is? What if it is just one right now? Or what if it is two or three? And and I just think that's so encouraging. Um, and I love too that that the Holy Spirit bears a witness to your growth because even you said, hey, I'm going to start with the men that are here 
and now 120 male graduates, 300 female graduates, a teen track, a leadership track. I mean, you are just rolling into it and God has grown that, you know? And so, so hopefully every rural leader listening feels that same level of encouraged and inspired, you know? Joe, I want to say, I want to say to the pastor, this pastor in a church of 15, 20 people, you know, I, my first church, we, uh, there was 15, we showed up with our, our, uh, three month old baby and we had a 20% growth. We grew from 15 to 18. <laughs> and, um, I remember going to a conference back then and uh, the speaker was talking about their nine choirs in their church that gave people opportunity to be involved and engage. And we're sitting there thinking, 18 divided by nine, we'd have two people in a, in each choir. You know, I mean, we just were, we were overwhelmed by the numbers. Oh, that's the most yeah. true statement on rural people going to big conferences that I've ever yeah. heard. You know, you look around, they're like, I have 2000 people in my church. I'm like, I don't have 2000 in the County. What do you want me to do? You know? <laughs> Seriously. So that pastor that's even listening to this and he hears, you know, 300 women and those aren't all women in our church. church. They're women in the community and men in the community. But, when they, they hear numbers like that, they say, well, that, that this doesn't apply to me. Well, it really does. If you've got 15 people and you can find one or two people that says, I want to grow in God. I, I want to learn to be a leader in the kingdom of God. Start with those and, and see what God does from there. Amen. Well, hey, I am thoroughly challenged and thoroughly encouraged. And Dwight, Pastor Dwight, we so appreciate you uh, jumping on the podcast today. Again, if you're a rural uh, leader, you know, share this podcast, share it with somebody. We uh, are going to have more good voices to come on this conversation of uh, discipleship. And we have been thoroughly encouraged by you, Dwight, today. So thanks so much for coming on, man. It's been my privilege. Awesome. Well, again, uh, this is Rural Advancement. I am Joe Epley, and we appreciate you tuning in. Mm-hmm.